Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is brought to you by The Joyful Fashionista, an online marketplace for buying and selling secondhand and sustainable clothing. Make cash selling as you declutter or buy sustainable and fabulous fashion. Yuma Frugalistas, and welcome. Today I have a special guest, and of course, all of my guests are special. Today's guest is someone who is extremely knowledgeable about personal finance and who has a way of explaining the complex in a simple way that is also easy to understand. And her writing is always a great read. But before I introduce her, I have a favor to ask of you. If you find the wisdom shared in this podcast to be useful for you, please pay it forward by following, commenting, and sharing with a friend. Jessica Irvine is one of Australia's best-known and trusted economics writers and columnists. For the past few years, she has been on a one-woman mission to budget, save, and invest. In this podcast, we're going to talk about budgeting, that's right, the B word, which is the topic of her new book, Money with Jess. Welcome, Jess. Hi, Serena. How are you? Really well, thank you. And congratulations on your new book. Thank you. And congratulations on your book too. (laughs) Um, I think when you approached me to do this podcast, I let you know that I've got your book, Joyful Frugalista, on my shelf as well. So now you've got mine on your shelf. (laughs) I do. They can sit side by side. But um, seriously, congratulations. It is just such a fantastic book. I just love reading it. But I also love how pretty it is, especially with the colours. It is so pretty. When I first had the idea, I actually spoke with a a lot of different publishers about doing a money book. And I was like, I'd like to do one that is like a cookbook, but for finances. So like it would have colour. And that sort of fell on some deaf ears with some publishers. But I managed with Wiley to sort of get them over the line to think, (laughs) you know, I'm like, finance is so boring, guys. We need we need to jazz it up a little bit. And they really came to the party. So it's printed in colour. The cover is colour. And my budgeting system is very colourful too. So I hope that that is helpful for people. I'll suck you in. You won't realise you're reading a boring book about money. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not so a boring book about money. <laughs> but on colour, you have a number of colours, 10 in particular, that feature in the book. So what is the significance of the colours? These are my highlighters and gosh, I've had them for about two years now and it goes to this very specific system of budgeting that I do and I share a lot on my Instagram, Money with Jess. I sort of, everyone can see me highlighting my expense tracker (laughs) and I went through this very laborious process which we can get into of carving up every single expense that a household could face into 10 neat categories because I'm a bit of a neat freak and I love organising things. (laughs) So I organised every possible household category of expenses into 10. I assigned a highlighter, a different highlighter colour to each one. So it's transport, food, housing. And that's the system that I use to track my spending and sort of make all my budgets really pretty and colourful. And it brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) Well, I was was amazed. And just the robustness with which you've gone to to categorise and classify uh, the different categories. And was it hard to decide on, on the top 10? Um, 
It actually fell rather neatly into place. I, I did go straight to the Australian Bureau of Statistics' Household Expenditure Survey, which I knew existed through my work as a finance journalist. I've been covering that for a while. So I knew that the ABS runs this survey every couple of years where they actually get people to keep spending diaries and write down everything that they're spending money on and how much so that, you know, the Central Statistical Bureau knows where we're spending all our money. It's just that when the Bureau produces that report, it's rather dry <laughs> and nobody's uh, doubt read it. <laughs> so I sort of went in there. They did group some of the categories together, but I did a little bit of tinkering with their system to make it a little bit more exciting. And I sort of, I stress that it's very important. People sort of get told to write a budget, but they don't get told, they don't sort of get handheld through the process. So the first thing people are told about budgets is, hey, you need to have one. And then people <laughs> just tend to move on rather quickly. You just get told, write a budget and you go, okay. <laughs> but I thought it would be so helpful for people if there was a system to say, look, there's only certain amounts of things that humans can spend money on. And here's like a complete checklist of everything that could possibly come up. So this Bureau of Statistics survey has about 7,000 items of household spending from like bicycles to weed killer to toilet paper. <laughs> and I have grouped all of those thousands of items into the 10. And then there's a section, I mean, part two of the book is basically walking you through it, the 10 categories and then all the checklist of expenses to consider under each one. And I just thought that might be helpful for people to bridge that gap between being told you need a budget, you know, you need to track your spending and also just sort of knowing where to start, like to consider everything that could possibly come up. Because I think that's why budgets fail and, and people sort of don't like the term. Part of it is that you'll write out a spending plan and then lo and behold, your quarterly water bill lobs and you haven't thought to provision for that. And suddenly you're torpedoed or like, you, you know, your car insurance or your home insurance, some of those sort of sneaky, less frequent bills come in and you think, oh gosh, I didn't anticipate. So I've tried as much as possible to anticipate every single possible thing people could spend money on. I did actually laugh at some of the things that you had included, like there were some fairly naughty things in there. But you know, <laughs> yeah. that does reflect the fact that we're all human and we do often spend money on things and we probably don't put them in our budgets because we don't want to admit to them. <laughs> I feel like I, this may be the first personal finance book ever to mention sex toys. So, <laughs> but just run there. with it. <laughs> Under lifestyle, if you're interested. <laughs> well, you know, so people do spend money on all different things, and you've included things in there as well, like dating apps and and so forth. Yep. And people do spend a lot of money often on these things. I know I did when I was single. Yep, the dating apps can be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And they need to be somewhere. If you're spending a lot of money on those and it's a, a monthly expense, it needs to be recorded somewhere. Exactly. And our spending patterns have changed a lot. That was interesting watching sort of the Bureau's statistic surveys over time. You know, like if you go back to the 1900s, people have got grits and like lard and, you know, wick <laughs> and tallow for their candles and things. So it's constantly changing what we're spending money on. And like there's these things like streaming services are such a major thing now for household budgets, which mm. weren't there before. So it was fascinating to to get into the nitty gritty. And I do believe that, I mean, I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to walk up to me with a product or service that I haven't thought of and say, Jess, where does this go? 
I bought breast mints the other day and I was like, ooh, is that food or is it <laughs> lifestyle? Is it for but you I, or is it for an animal? <laughs> it's for me. <laughs> I confess. <laughs> but all these different expenses, but I really do love that. So do you have a favourite colour? So you've got your 10 colours. Do you have a favourite one that is in there for a favourite category? Do you mean like my favourite category or just my mm, favourite colour? Mm. is yellow. Well, it's funny, my favourite colour is yellow and that is also the than the, the one I gave to lifestyle. So I thought if you're trying to compare my sort of budgeting system to other ones, that's sort of like your splurge money or your fun money, I think. So I have sort of put all the fun things go into lifestyle like holidays and eating out. That's an interesting thing that I do. I, I separate out in my budget spending on eating out, which is sort of like an enjoyment thing and you're paying for people to prepare the food for you versus my food. So I only track in my food category, uh, literally food that I've bought in a supermarket and I take home and I prepare at home Mm. for me to eat. So, and I've done that because I really want to know how much does it cost to feed myself? And that's really empowering to know. I think I've got my household annual food bill down to about four or $5,000. I know that it's about $400 a month. That's very good. For two, for two people, yeah, uh, just well, me and my son for half of the week, so one one and a half, one and a quarter <laughs> for him. He's seven years old, so yeah, I think. And you can probably get lower on that. Do you know what your monthly or what weekly food bill is? Well, it's changed a lot. Back in two thousand and fifteen to sixteen, I did a one year challenge of fifty dollars a week. Now my children yeah. were quite young at that point, and I had them mostly full time but not quite. But now I've remarried and my eldest son is a teenager as well. So our appetites have changed, but it's close to 150, between 120 and 150 a week for four adults. So yeah. Oh, you're doing very well. You're doing very well. That's been part of my journey is to learn to teach myself to cook. Essentially people, I don't think realize that food is the second biggest by expense category of household spending. So there's your housing, your mortgage or your rent, and then food is number two, and then transport is number three. So I don't hesitate to tell people that food is really something to concentrate on if you are needing to save some money. And I think it's so easy to splurge in that category as well, or, you know, with the eating out, which is why I separate that out. Yeah, I hear you. And I think particularly for people who are starting to budget and starting to save, it's one of the easiest things to do. Some of the things like negotiating better prices on your insurance or your electricity or gas bills, you can sort of do as a one-off, but you can't do it every week. But food is one of those things you can start right now, like today, and make that yeah. conscious effort and that conscious change. And you, you can see those results instantly. Yeah, I did this experiment once where I tracked for a week Uh, I calculated the cost of every single (laughs) meal that I was cooking for a week. And you can do, you know, you could like, I I went a little bit crazy and I wrote all the prices (laughs) of things that I'd bought on them. So all my eggs had like 30 cents or 60 cents (laughs) written on them in black market pen. I might try that at home. I'm not sure how popular it would be. (laughs) Yeah, I being a single person, I wonder why I'm single, you know, (laughs) I'm writing on my eggs, but um, just to, and I was able to sort of find that I could feed myself a sort of two, 
you know, one to two to three dollars for some meals. And once you have that information and you're sitting in the restaurant ordering your food, you go, oh, I could have actually saved quite a lot of money by not being here. And of course, I'm not against eating out, but just all the time it becomes problematic. So food bills, yes, definitely a good place to start. Well, especially at the moment with the high price of of food, I understand some of the reasons for that with the drought, which is continuing to affect the price of beef in particular, the floods, which has disrupted a number of the the fresh fruit and vegetables, particularly things that have come from Queensland and, and elsewhere. The effect of the war in Ukraine, which is affecting grain prices globally and supply chain issues. There's a lot of factors there that are really impacting on, and petrol as well, which are really impacting yeah. on the cost of food. There's a bit of a perfect storm there. And I've just reported on, you know, the infl- latest inflation figures show inflation's mm. up by 5, 5.1% a year. And like fruit and veg is up at 13, 14%. So, like, you're not imagining it. Things are. Things are getting tighter with household budgets and I think that's really people are really going to start to notice that if they haven't already. Yeah, I agree. And so it's it's really timely your book about budgeting because I think this is probably going to be the first time for a long time that people have needed to budget. Like it's been very difficult for people during COVID, but you know, thankfully a lot of people had government subsidies to keep them going when times were tough. Hmm. They're not necessarily going to have that at the moment. Yeah, and I do hope people sort of saved some of that. There was you're right, during COVID we thought it was going to be a time of a lot of financial stress, and for some people it definitely was. But if you kept your job, you know, we had government stimulus coming in, you weren't spending as much money, and interest rates went down to sort of historic, historic lows. Mm-hmm. And I started writing the book, or I had the idea for the book about a year or two ago, and I just sort of wrote it because I'd got to a point in my own financial journey where I was like, I've learned some things, and I would really like to put them all in one place so that somebody wouldn't have to learn them all the hard way like I did. You make it sound so easy though. (laughs) (laughs) I have struggled with money and I have been, I did, I I look back and I think of all the money that I sort of spent in my life and if I was aware of a few tricks, I probably could have retired in about five years, but as it is, I'll be working a bit longer. But I wrote the book because, you know, I wanted to put that message together and then it has ended up being incredibly timely because we've got the inflation figures and then we've got you know interest rates going up for the first time mm. in about in about 10 years on the latest figures there's about a million Australians who've taken out home loans in the decade when interest rates were only going down and now they're going up for the first time and that's going to be really scary for a lot of people i agree and especially to a lot of people especially first home buyers often often young people but of course not all first home buyers are young but often have bought places in regional or remote areas or in suburbs that were further out, which is another trend we saw during COVID that people wanted to move away from inner cities and and large cities. And at that time, petrol was very cheap. (laughs) Interest rates were low and now it's all changed. Yep. And first home buyers are an interesting one. And I've written the book for for everyone, basically, but for young people in particular, one thing I wish I knew is that if you do want to get into the housing market and you do want to get a loan, you'll walk into a bank and the first thing they'll do is say, um, where's your household budget? Where, where, how much money are you, are you spending? And then they run you through that process to see how much cash flow you have additional to service the loans. 
if you think you can avoid having a budget as a young person who aspires to own a home, think again, because as soon as you walk into the bank, they start asking you these questions, which I talk about in the book. I have sort of walked in with absolutely no idea. I had a deposit to buy my place about two years ago. But, you know, they started asking me how much I spent on food and I gave them a rather blank look. But <laughs> fortunately, <laughs> I did get the loan. Um, but that that actually was sort of what inspired the budgeting journey, I think, is that I, I gave them this table of how much I reckoned I spent, got my rather large Sydney mortgage, which is still about sort of, I still got about $700,000 owing as a single income earner which keeps me awake sometimes, but it no longer does because I, I went through the numbers that I'd provided just to make sure that I could actually service my loan and I can, but it's sort of an exercise that everyone's going to encounter at some point. Mm. And yeah, and particularly now with interest rates going up, you sort of need to know where the fat is if your minimum repayments do go up, um, if you're not fixed, where are you going to be able to find the excess money? And I can honestly say I'm not worried about interest rates going up because I know that I'm in sur- I'm in a surplus each month and I know where I can cut back if I need to if rates do go up much higher from here which I feels feels like a very calm and wonderful place to be and I want to sort of make sure that as many people can feel that way and not be really horribly stressed out at the idea of interest rates going up having evidence to to back what's happening is so important isn't it and I had the same thing because having retired early in a sense to you know following my startup and, and other dreams sometimes I get a bit panicky because I'm not yet earning what I did previously but when I look at my money overall situation I'm like yeah look it's fine yeah I mean one of the things I know and you would probably know too is what your annual living expenses Ah, like do you do you know that for your household? Yeah, I do. I mean, it depends a little bit. It depends on whether hubby decides to book a cruise because my parents and Laura are going, and it ends up being more expensive than I thought. <laughs> for instance, which can throw budgets yeah. out. But I have a general sense of how much we we usually spend. Yeah, yeah, and so do I. And because I I did track my spending for an entire year, and I've actually put the figures in the in the book. So like part of the thing that that people really like is to be able to see other people's numbers, I think. You can find it on page 140-something or other. In one year, I spent $88,000. Now, that's not my bare bones. That's how much I actually spent. But just knowing that figure, and part two of the book is all aimed at walking people through being able to come up with an estimate of their own annual living expenses, that is such a powerful number to know, as you'd know, because then you know how much you're going to need in retirement as an income. You can start to calculate how big an emergency, people are always telling you to have an emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses. But if you don't know what your living expenses are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's hard to calculate that number. And of course, as I've said, knowing the living expenses is so important for getting a loan and not just your first loan, but if you want to get an investment property, again, you have to go through the process of knowing what your living expenses are. I just think there's so much power in knowing what your numbers are. And even though people might be a bit intimidated by that, that's it's the it's the place to start and the place to finish if you really want to get in control of your of where your money's going. I hear you. And a it's not quite a guilty admission, but it's an admission nonetheless. 
I have a spreadsheet of my monthly finances that I've been keeping since 2011, I think, 2010 or 2011. I love that. I love hearing things. It's surprising the number of people that when you start to have this conversation go, yeah, I've got a mega spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> and, and mine's loosely based on your money or your life. So it's not, we're, we're having this discussion before, it's not what I would term a budget because it's not a forecasting tool. It's a tracking tool. So it looks at what I've actually spent. But when I do do my budget, I have accurate figures on which to base it on. Because this is the thing, like you think, oh, I never go out. (laughs) I never (laughs) buy things on Amazon or eBay or wherever. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) You got to catch yourself. (laughs) I never buy clothes. I never go to the op shop. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that's the thing. People set these super unrealistic budgets and then they feel guilty or shame because they've spent over what they think they should be spending, but it's just been so unrealistic for them. And yeah, you touched on there the difference between sort of tracking your spending and just observing your habits and then trying to set a budget in advance. And I think I tend towards just, if you want to start, just start mindfully tracking your money. So when you've gone to the op shop, when you've gone out for dinner and then you've you've spent the money and then when you go to your spending tracker and you write it down and my spending tracker which all my trackers, by the way, are free and available on my website, jessicaervine.com.au. They're like downloadable PDF worksheets that I've just, I refer to throughout the book, but they're all there for free. So you just can print off my spending tracker today. And I, I just have a little prompt for myself to say, was it essential or non-essential? And so you're, you're going through your credit card statement and just reflecting on the purchases and going, did I really need that or did I really not need that? So for me, it's as much sort of a a mindfulness and a reflecting on where the money has gone as much as coming up with really strict limits for where it should go in the future. Yeah, and I think that's it. Like there's some months where I'm like, oh, we actually spent a lot on eating out this month. Like some months it's quite big and I'm like, yeah, but then there was a birthday or took the whole family out to celebrate some event or, or there were other things. And like it's fine because you know that that's why you've done that and that's the priority versus just sort of mindlessness of having lots of takeaway meals and forgetting you've done it and then regretting it because it wasn't so memorable. (laughs) Exactly. And I sort of reconcile my budget or my spending trackers at the end of the month and I do a little, my budget worksheet sort of says, you know, what did you do well? What did you, what can you work on? And just being able to add up the eating out and going, gosh, I, I think recently I spent sort of three or $400 eating out, which I don't know if that sounds like a lot to you or not, but it was higher than usual for me. And I was just able to go, okay, maybe I'll set an intention for the next month to try and just be more aware and bring that down. But it's not about saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You're bad. Sometimes it's super fun to eat out, but sometimes you've just got in a bit of a rut where you're doing that mindlessly. I think that's where people can probably find some savings if they if they yeah. need to. Yeah, and every time I do my end of month thing, I always find something like a streaming service that I'd trialed and I'd forgotten to cancel, something I was no longer using. Sometimes it's just a charge on a credit card that wasn't quite right or there's just like and they're often little amounts, but like all those little amounts do add up and when you're not yeah. watching your money, they sneak in. Yeah, and people, some people sort of say, 
oh, look, you shouldn't get too obsessive about tracking your spending. You should focus on increasing your income earning capacity. And I think that's true. And people are very focused on side hustles and you can ask for pay rises. And that's all in the book too. You know, boosting your income is a great way to make your budget more healthy. But I think having the the discipline on the small things, like I once decided to figure out if it was cheaper to have dishwashing tablets or use dishwashing powder. And I kept like, I had a bottle of powder and I had a post-it note stuck on there and I put a little chink, a little tally for each load that I'd got out of it. And I figured out powder is actually much cheaper because you can just use a little bit. And people sort of laughed at me for that. And I get it. (laughs) And I do tend to get a little bit hyper-focused on, you know, small savings things. But once you've spent a month or two writing scratching marks on a um, dishwashing <laughs> tablet powder bottle, it's much harder to just go off and drop $200 on a new pair of AirPods. Um, it just brings your attention down slowly. And I think that's there's some process there where you're becoming more mindful of your choices. And just that minutiae has really helped me anyway to sort of slow down with my spending decisions and realize every little decision can matter and being good on some smaller things can help you when it comes time to renew your car insurance or figure out which lender to go with. You you really want to pay close attention and I, I think it's valuable and it certainly made me feel a lot more calm and in control to just breathe and start looking at some of those smaller spending items. I hear you with that. And actually, I loved your discussion on how dishwasher powder is so much cheaper. This is also a a conclusion we've come to in our household. And to overshare, I've been experimenting with homemade dishwasher powder. I haven't yet nailed it. I would love to be able to brag that it's fantastic, but actually it isn't as good. It, It leaves the glasses a little bit cloudy. What do you use? It's a recipe that I can't remember all the details, but it's mm. got a number of things in there like bicarb, I think it's uh, electric soda, and citric acid is the is a key ingredient. That lemon flavor is also really good for cutting through grease. Ah. However, it hasn't been as clear on the glassware as I'd like. And I had been using vinegar as a rinse aid for a long time, except people have told me that that can impact on the rubber that's used within the dishwashers. And, oh, mean, good to know. and mean that it can cut through that. Now, I haven't actually had that problem, but they say to be careful of that. So I'm following all of this discussion with a lot of interest and eventually I will nail my homemade environmental <laughs> money-saving dishwashing powder, but for now I haven't. <laughs> Are you on Instagram? Do I follow you on Instagram? I think so. I am on Instagram. Yeah. Because I post a lot of this stuff, like I'll be cooking something, I'll like have a whole pumpkin or something and I won't know how to cook it. And I've loved the community that I've found on Instagram because you get the tips from everybody. So I just, just caution, or just urge everyone to use Instagram because there's this whole <laughs> community of frugal people who have all these great tips about reusing and recycling. And I, I love that aspect of your book, Joyful Frugalista, as well. And it's kind of, it's an old wisdom that's sort of been lost and as and as a woman I've sort of I wonder if we've been sort of pushed away from it like there's the stereotype of the sort of mm. the 1950s housewife and she's yeah. doing a cleaning and and her cooking and we've see, so devalued that to go off and have professional careers and we're trying to integrate 
all those aspects and we still do need to eat and have clean houses. So it's rediscovering that kind of old wisdom has been a bit of a journey for me and I I know for you and yeah, I love all your love all your tips in your book as well. <laughs> Thank you. Now I have one final question for you and you have a whole book full of frugal tips, but could I impose on you to share just one frugalista tip? Just one. Yes, there's more than 300 savings <laughs> hacks. <laughs> I've called them savings hacks, frugal tips, whatever you like in the book. Just one. Oh my gosh. I think and we've spoken a lot about food today, but and maybe your audience is already all over this. Making friends with your freezer and your fridge and making sure that you know how to prolong the life of the things that you buy in the store so that they can last longer at home before they go off and you don't end up wasting it. This is this is super niche, but a friend suggested to me when you buy spring onions, you know the uh, the green onions that have the long stems. Mm-hmm. That I've let a few of those wilt in my fridge. Chop them up immediately into the little sliced pieces and put them in a glass jar in your fridge that you can sort of use as a shaker to shake spring onions over everything you cook, and that will last for weeks. Ah. Did, did you know that one? I did. Well, actually, sort of. I do chop mine up immediately and I actually freeze some of them. Now, when you use them in food, they are obviously soggy. You can use them in soups and you can use them in stir fries. They, they're not as fresh for uh, salads, but they will keep indefinitely. And then the bottom stalk, you can actually replant in the garden and they'll re-sprout. <gasps> that I didn't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. And do they just... Do they re-sprout into multiple bulbs and then you? Uh, Good question. I don't know that they necessarily do. They might. And they're not Mm. as, when they re-sprout, they're not as full and as pretty as they are the first time round. But, you know, you can just cut and come again with them. They're fine. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, we've (laughs) all, well... I've learned something. I feel like I should, I've just gone and told the, the goddess of household food prep how to prep food. I, I am still learning. <laughs> the other ones are just shopping around and everything. Actually, it, here's another one. Just check your excess on all your insurance policies and make sure that you couldn't have some savings in the short term in a cash flow sense from having a, a larger excess if you do have some savings to draw and if you can afford to pay the higher out-of-pocket cost in the event that you claim and you put, you're up for the excess. but Because that's one thing I did with all my, my home insurance, my car insurance, my health insurance. It, it's a lifestyle choice and I have savings set aside, but knowing that I, I just go to the highest excess possible and that reduces your premiums. And people spend a lot of money when you add up insurance costs on they do. Um, health insurance in particular. And it's a gamble because if you do actually claim you're paying more out of pocket, but if you don't actually claim, you can save a lot. So review all your insurances. <laughs> and save and invest it. Don't go and buy a pair of new shoes. Well, you can if you like, but ideally save and invest it. If you really get value out of that purchase <laughs> versus other things you could do, like having a financial peace of mind, <laughs> buy the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jess, for being my guest today. Now, people can obviously read your articles and buy your book. Yes, my book is called Money with Jess, Your Ultimate Guide to Household Saving, Household Budgeting. <laughs> Rookie error, you've got to know the name of your book if you want to spruik <laughs> it. Um, <laughs> um, and follow me on Instagram at Money with Jess because I have links to 
order the book or my articles, sign up to my weekly newsletter with the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and sort of where you can go and get all my downloadable PDF worksheets as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And if you've enjoyed this chat as much as I have, make sure to join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group and you can follow me on Instagram as well, seeing we're talking Instagram today and love to connect with you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Every night